Thank you again for stopping by the Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. Uh, I do apologize. It's been, I think, a little over a week since I've been able to record. <coughs> Pardon me. I did have some health issues again, uh, but hopefully I, I won't have any of those for a little while anyway. So uh, it is glad to be back uh, and glad to be back in the swing of things. And so in today's episode, we're going to now actually reach episode five. And I know we've done several devotional episodes too, and uh, and I should hopefully get one out, one of those out again tomorrow um, too is my goal. Uh, and, um, and then the uh, second part of episode five uh, later in the week. Um, but uh, anyway, it is good to be back and, and I'm glad we're here. And when we talked early on, we talked about how the episodes were going to lay out. And I laid out the five main episodes. And even though episode four had to be split into four pieces, um, and episode five will be split into two pieces, uh, we are, are following that, uh, the, the, the plan that I set out to begin with. I think where we're going to go from here is we're going to talk about um, uh, how prayer fulfills faith for us or demonstrates our faith next. And then we will, I believe, um, take apart some of the elements of uh, prayer or the elements of prayer, sorry. Uh, and so we will do those as well as full episodes uh, in those. Those will be full episodes, what I meant to say. Um, and so, but episode five we talked about, and we talked about that being uh, the purpose of prayer. And it's been a while since I recorded it. It may not have been, depending on when you listen or how you listen, may not have been that long since you listened, but um, it's been a while since I recorded. And I, But I do remember mentioning that we were going to talk about the purpose of God. And I mentioned uh, then uh, in kind of an offhanded manner that it may not be, the purpose of prayer may not be what you think it is, uh, which is okay. And I did, I did want to, um, set the purpose of prayer in the fifth episode as well, because if you also remember in the beginning, um, we began like uh, a person was just starting their prayer life and they needed to build that momentum. And sometimes uh, we said uh, and mentioned that a theology or questions in theology or misunderstandings in theology or just things we haven't been confronted with can interfere with our prayer life. Uh, I told the story, I believe, um, about uh, one person who didn't like the the way I was praying, and he actually made me miss out on about two weeks of uh, being with the Lord just because I was so concerned about what he thought about my prayer life. And that can happen, and it can happen theologically too. But we do need to get the... um, the purpose of prayer, we do need to keep that in mind and to have that in mind because without that, it can cause some issues for us. Uh, and the first one being just in general, we know if you're going to, this is Super Bowl week that I'm recording this, and you know that the coaching staff of the Patriots and the coaching staff of the Rams are putting together a game plan and they have to know what their objective is to put together to, to put together a coherent plan. Uh, but then they break it down, not only to, you know, the overall game plan obviously is scoring more points than the other team, um, 
but every phase of the game, they break down into a different plan. And our prayer, our Christian life should actually be the same. Our prayer life should be the same. We should be deliberate uh, in what we, how we pray and what we, what we do in our prayer lives and that spiritual habits that we develop. And so knowing the purposes of prayer or the purpose of prayer uh, can greatly enhance that. Plus, if you don't keep that in mind, it can be really frustrating um, and confusing and may even result in your not praying at all. So, for instance, uh, prayer is not, and I'll give you this right off the bat, prayer is not primarily to get what you want. That's not the purpose of prayer. Now, we are told to um, talk to God about things, to ask God about things, and to let Him work and answer those, you know, everything that's on our heart. If you remember again in Philippians 4, when he tells us, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he he does want us to hear from us. He does want to hear our request, our request but that's not primarily the purpose of prayer. Uh, it, it helps the purpose of prayer. It pushes that along, but it's not primarily the purpose of prayer. And so I'm also going to borrow again liberally from Jonathan Edwards on his um, uh, purpose for uh, purpose for the reason the end for which God created the world is is uh, at least a paraphrase of the title of his dissertation, uh, which then became a book. Uh, and which which he of course published, and I, I'm not sure. Maybe when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. But I'm not sure he would approve exactly of the way I'm going to use these concepts. But for me, they do help put them in categories that are helpful. Um, I don't know if you know, but Jonathan Edwards, uh, from a child, was an entomologist, a study of bugs. And he collected them, he laid them out, he displayed them, he characterized them, he put notes on them. And that's just the way his mind worked. And when he came to Scripture, his mind worked the same. And when I can grasp what he's saying, uh, it really does, those categories, those uh, determining factors really help me to, to um, help make the categories, to help simplify things for me. And so... Uh, we, we talked about Edwards and his ultimate ends or his ultimate reasons for things. And the ultimate reason or ultimate purpose is a standalone purpose. It's all by itself. That's our purpose all by itself, no matter what else is going on. That's an ultimate purpose. And, and in this case, prayer, there is an ultimate purpose for prayer. And then he talked about chief ends or chief purposes. And those are those can feed the ultimate purpose, and in this case they will, but chief ends, they can be on, uh, on different ways, different things. So you may um, have, you may purpose to go, uh, for instance, to the grocery store. Okay, that would be a subordinate purpose. You're going to the grocery store because you have to buy bread that's a subordinate purpose. You have to buy bread because you like sandwiches and you need to eat. So eating's a subordinate purpose. And a chief purpose would be survival. 
Okay, so you have to eat to survive. You like sandwiches, so you want to make a sandwich. And and so the chief purpose is to survive. The um, subordinate purpose then is to eat a sandwich. The subordinate purpose to that then would be to go get the bread so you could make your sandwich. I hope that makes a little bit of sense and doesn't confuse things more. But when it comes to prayer, we do have the ultimate purpose in prayer. Uh, and that is the glory of God. And then we have the chief purpose in prayer, which I'll tell you really quickly is, is our being conformed to his will. And then we have all the subordinate purposes to pray, which could also be labeled our daily prayers. We pray what's on our hearts, what we're thinking about, what's on our hearts, what we need, you know, what our requests are. Those are subordinate to the overall purpose of, of as we'll see next time, in finding out uh, in conforming to God's will. And that's subordinate to giving him glory. And if you don't have that in mind, the frustration can come in if you if you really believe that prayer is to get what you want, what happens when you don't get what you want? Or your what you want is delayed? Or what happens when what you want isn't a part of God's will? We don't pray, for instance, for sinful things. If, um, if you had decided or I decided that I really do need a new computer, and then I've decided... Okay, so to get a new computer, the money for it, I'm going to cheat on my taxes. Okay, we don't go to God and say, Lord, help me cheat on my taxes. Help me make enough money by cheating on my taxes so that I can get a computer, which I need for the ministry. Okay, that's not how God wants us to work. That's not how he wants us to seek him. But if you if you don't have those things in mind, it it can get frustrating. And again, it may frustrate you so much that you stop praying. And so keeping in mind the purposes of prayer, especially the ultimate purpose and the chief purpose of prayer, will help all our prayers conform and help our lives conform and bring us that joy and peace that we want. And we've talked about that a lot in the in the preceding episodes. What happens when we pray, what happens as we pray, and the joy and the peace that that sustain us. Those come through knowing the ultimate purpose and the chief purpose of prayer. And uh, so we're going to split it, like I said, into two parts. This part being the ultimate purpose of prayer, which is the glory of God. And so we're going to, um, then next time in part two, we're going to concentrate on the chief purpose of prayer, which again is to conform us to God's will. And then we will look also at how the subordinate purposes of prayer, uh, our daily prayer requests, help us to achieve that chief purpose, which will ultimately also help us with the ultimate prayer. But the ultimate prayer is um, actually really interesting because the ultimate purpose in prayer is to glorify God. The conclusion of Edward's book, his dissertation and then book, was that everything God did, he did for his own glory. Okay, He did it to display who he is and what he can do and what, and what he is. And that was all done to display, to, uh, I don't mean to use the word show off, but show off himself, okay? Because that's truth. That's who he is. 
uh, and he deserves uh, that praise and adoration and worship. And so Edwards comes to the conclusion, and I do believe it's biblical, that the ultimate end, that reason God created everything, is for his own glory. And we're going to see that uh, a little bit as well. But I have a couple of exhortations here as we begin with the ultimate purpose of prayer. And the first one comes in 1 Corinthians 10.31, where Paul says, Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And that's a clarion call to Christians through all the ages, in every circumstance, to glorify God. So we see that that's important. And then we also see from Isaiah, and I love the book of Isaiah, I love the book of, of Ezekiel, because of their overt focus on God's glory. But in Isaiah 42, 8, God says this, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. So, he gets all the glory. He's jealous of his glory. Nobody else gets that. And so as we think about, uh, well, doctrine in general, Christian life in general, that's one of the reasons we know Jesus is God, because he accepts worship. He accepts that worship that, that God is talking about in Isaiah. He accepts that glory. Nobody else does that. No angel. You can read in Scripture when uh, and as somebody tries to worship an angel, they tell him to stop. When somebody tried to worship uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they told him, stop. We're not God. And so nobody accepts that. But Jesus did accept that worship. And God makes it clear he's not giving it to his glory to anyone else. And then, in fact, uh, Isaiah 48, 11, one of my favorite um uh, verses in along this line as well, God says, for my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned? My glory, I will not give to another. So here again, that, uh, that um, ultimate end for Jonathan Edwards is reinforced. He does things for his own sake and for his own glory. And he deserves to be able to do that because of who he is. And the, the, the beautiful thing about the ultimate purpose in prayer, the ultimate end in prayer, if you will, as Edward, Edwards might say, <clears throat> the really cool thing about that is no matter how God answers our prayers, our subordinate daily prayers, no matter how he answers them, all the answers result in his glory. And if you think about just episode four, even though it's in four four spots, if you are uh, four um, parts, but if you think about that that in total, Abraham learned about God and he glorified God, even though his prayers, Abraham's prayers, weren't answered exactly the way he prayed it, but he was still able to learn of God, learn of His love, and glorify Him uh, for that answer to prayer. Abraham's servant on the other hand, learned about God, and he gave God glory, and he um, exalted in him and told everybody about him, uh, God, and what God did, because God answered that prayer exactly. Word for word, God fulfilled that prayer. He answered that prayer. And we mentioned even back then that God answered it that way because that was his will. His will was for uh, Rebecca to be um, Isaac's wife. 
And I hope I didn't get, yeah, Rebecca, not Rachel. Um, <laughs> sometimes I get those mixed up. Uh, but Abraham's servant learned God can answer his prayers exactly, and he gave God glory. Paul, on the other hand, the last part of uh, God and uh, knowing eternal life through prayer, Paul learned about God, and he gave God great glory, all the glory, but God told him no. God didn't remove the thorn in Paul's flesh. And so, even though the answer was no, he still was able to give God glory because God had a larger purpose in that thorn in the flesh. He was thinking of something Paul was not thinking of as he asked for that flesh to be removed. And so, whether he says yes, whether he says yes with a twist, or whether he says no, God still gets the glory. And in the end, when everything's said and done, we're going to see God and his purposes and the, and the goodness of those and the soundness of those in his plan. We'll, we'll understand his plan. We'll see his wisdom and his grace uh, through all the answers to all our prayers. But the question comes, what do we do in the day-to-day, if you will? How, how do we kind of look at the ultimate purpose of prayer in respect to what we are going through every day? Because we do have those prayer requests. We do have those desires. Um, I've even had several people over the years say, this is what I would like to do or what we would like to do. Isn't this a good thing? Yes, it is. What, what you're aiming at is a good thing. And then the question would come, well, why would God tell us no? And typically, by God's grace, that those questions have come up at the beginning of their search and, and not after they maybe have been disappointed in an answer uh, that God has given them. But obviously, from my perspective, I don't know why he would say no. This sounds like a good thing. Go ahead and pursue it and see if it's the will of God. Pray about it. Pursue it. See what doors God opens or what doors God God closes. Uh, and then you will, uh, you will be able to see what God is doing and you'll be able to glorify him in it. So even if it's a good thing, a positive thing, it may not be the best thing for us, or it may not be God's will for us. And we talked in one of the episodes before about, um, I think it was the last one in um, on uh, uh, God and eternal life with, with uh, Paul, uh, is that, you know, I, there was a job, I, it fit, it seemed like a good place, that's where I wanted to be, that's what I prayed about. God said no. A few months later, I was in the best job I've ever had. And so he gets the glory. He gets the glory for saying no to one thing and saying yes to the other. And so uh, as we, we kind of look at those circumstances, it doesn't matter how he answers. We're going to glorify him in the end because it's going to make sense in the end. And one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture, just because it has so many layers of meaning and so much uh, that we can pull from it, glean from it, and 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 so I go back to it over and over again uh, for years and years and years. And in fact, if when I sit down to disciple someone in the Christian faith, uh, especially a young believer, I always start with the life of Joseph. Because 
there's again so much we can learn from that, uh, and and we'll learn about trials and learn about circumstances, uh, because again we have to know right that the Christian life is made up of trials. None of us get out of this life without. Um, trials in our lives without stresses in our lives and in fact in hebrews 12 god tells us we don't get out of this life without discipline right he disciplines us for our good that um we would have the peaceful fruit of righteousness which is better than anything else it's better than any kind of happiness we could get or better than any kind of um a momentary joy we can get from things, that peaceful fruit of righteousness when it abides on us, fulfills us. It makes us completely happy. And uh, and so I always start with the, the life of Joseph to kind of get that set because that's one of the first main lessons I think we, we need as Christians. Now, um, Joseph's life is also a clear illustration of the ultimate purpose of God through confusion and fear and doubt and circumstances not being exactly what we thought they should be or think they should be. And so one of the things that's true when you're going through scripture, it's always reasonable to put ourselves into the shoes of the biblical characters and feel how they must have felt because they were just like us uh, uh, James makes the point that um, Elijah was a man just like us. And a few years ago, I did a study on, I was doing a study on humility, and I, I looked into the life of David and the life of Paul to see exactly how much he had to hurt them to bring them to the humility they needed to be. Both men were were dynamic and headstrong and uh, forward-thinking and forward-moving all the time, and God had to bridle them, if you will, so that they could be effective to what he called them to do. And so um, it's reasonable, again, to kind of put ourselves in those positions, especially when we're having a hard time in our lives or when we're not understanding or when we have something that we deem as good, and God doesn't seem to be answering that prayer. And so it, it, it's okay to, to, to get into what their circumstances, to get into what they're feeling, to imagine what they're feeling, even if it's um, sanctified imagination. Sometimes the Bible tells us, we'll see this in the life of David. The Bible tells us exactly what he was thinking. Uh, Paul, again, we know exactly what he was thinking at times in his life. Peter, anybody we have an extended view of them, uh, we know what they were thinking. In the life of Joseph, not so much. We know what he's thinking. We can kind of infer some things uh, from Scripture. But um, but when we, when we take a look at his life, which is what we're going to do today, put yourself in his shoes and think about the questions that you might have or the problems that you might have in each situation. And so he begins, the story of Joseph uh, begins in Genesis 37. And we find at the beginning of Genesis 37 that Joseph is given, through dreams, promises. And the promises to Joseph are he's going to be the leader of his family. His brothers are all going to bow before him, and his father and mother are all going to bow before him. And he tells them that. He tells them about that dream. 
And not everybody's 100% pleased with that. I think not even Jacob, although I think Jacob was okay with it. He just didn't want Joseph running around and bragging about it. Now, um, I, I think Joseph did a little bit of that. That's one of those things that I think we can infer from Scripture, is that it says he kept in relating his dreams to his brothers. And so there's probably a little bit of pride in that. Uh, but again, that's what I pull from that uh, from the scriptures there in Genesis 37. Um, and but some of the stuff w- was not his doing. In fact, most of it is not actually his direct doing. Uh, for instance, he did have the promises who he was going to be. wasn't shy about that either. But it was not his fault. He was his father's favorite. He didn't make himself that. Jacob made himself that. And so that put him at odds with his brothers right off the bat. And so um, as we as we then hear that he goes out to check on them because his father sent him out to check on them. And again, I, I believe there's pretty pretty good consensus that that, that color, uh, coat of many colors, I think it says in the King James or the, was, was kind of a status symbol. And, um, and Joseph was the boss of them after Jacob. Uh, I think that's pretty clear in scripture. And he goes out to check on them. And so when you, when you put yourself in his place, what kind of fear and frustration must he felt, must he have felt as all his brothers were angry with him? He was in an unprotected circumstance and they were ganging up on him. Not only were they ganging up on him, they were ganging up on him with the express purpose of killing him. That's how much trouble he Joseph had and, and um, him, his being the favorite caused. And obviously in the flesh, his brothers uh, weren't taking any of it, and they planned to kill him. And so immediately you, you put yourself in that fear and, and wonder even, and he may not have had time to think about this right away, but he may have. What about the promises? I'm supposed to lead these guys. How can I lead them if they kill me? And then, of course, uh, they they throw him into a well, and then they sit down to have lunch, and, and they're laughing. And now he's faced with not being killed by them instantaneously, but by lingering, for all he knows, in the bottom of a well and starving to death. And so, again, that confusion, that fear just has to be bubbling up. And he may even be praying at this point. We see a lot of times, we have a lot of illustrations of people in hard circumstances and even the, the famous foxhole prayers that we hear about from World War I and World War II, World War I especially, where people are praying, men are praying and saying, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll, I'll be a better person. I'll do, you know, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll, I'll become a Christian or whatever. But so we know that in those times, people call out and pray. And so Joseph may be may have been being called out. Lord, how can this be? How can I be starving to death at this moment? And so he's in the well, and he's going to suffer and die alone. And then, as they were pulling him out, perhaps he thought, oh, okay. They were mad, but but it's going to be okay. But they pulled him out. Remember what they pulled him out of the, the hole for? is to sell him as a slave. So they made some money off of the deal as well. And he had to have been praying at, at, at this point, Lord, what about those promises? You know, what's going to happen? 
and and just whatever and and you can think in your own mind and your own heart what would you be praying in those circumstances and you do have the promises of god you do have hope in god what if all of a sudden all those things were thrown into question because you were threatened and then finally sold and as he was sold what could he ever prayed as he was sold and then as he was on the caravan to egypt how far away is he now from being the head of the family and what could he be asking god and then he was sold again as a slave to a person and so he was in he was in that guy's house and uh, potiphar's house and he was faithful he did everything he was supposed to do he was so faithful that potiphar put him in charge and now he's being persecuted with temptation okay he didn't ask for potiphar's wife to to make the um uh, the um request that she made and to come on him like she did he didn't ask for that but there he was and so he had to be saying lord why why this why this temptation why now why am i going through this and he did the right thing but what was the consequence of doing the right thing was being thrown in jail. Now, I think years ago, I heard J. Vernon McGee make the point that if he had fooled around with Potiphar's wife, he probably would have been killed. So he did, um, you know, he did, uh, he did God's will, did what he was supposed to do, but there was still a consequence for that. And so when, um, you know, what could he have been thinking? Now this, how did I get into this jail? And one of the things that that I use just overall when 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 I'm uh, discipling somebody through this process or we're talking about this is God takes Joseph down and he does that with us into trials step by step. Most of the time we just don't get thrown to the bottom. And so this isn't even the bottom for Joseph. But how do you express, you know, um, your own fearful questions to God? And he may have been thinking something like, Lord, I thought I might win. Okay, so I do apologize about that. I did run into a similar problem with the last time, but I figured out now that I can put those two parts together and I don't have to start all over again, So, which is awesome. And so we were talking about the life of Joseph, and we were talking about him being in Egypt being a slave, and we were talking about his uh, how he must have been feeling and the prayers that he was talking to God, the things that he was asking God about. And um, even at this point, we left him in Potiphar's house. Well, just after he got um, accused of um, by Potiphar's wife, and he got thrown in jail, and <clears throat> and how all those things fit into God's purpose or God's promises for him. He had those promises and he had been persecuted with temptation, but he didn't, he didn't, he didn't fall to the temptation. And again, maybe he even thought with Potiphar that, boy, if I work hard enough and I do everything I'm supposed to do, maybe I can buy my freedom, get back to my family, and then be the leader, have those, all those promises that, that you that you gave me a long time ago. and But now he finds himself in prison. And he had to be asking, again, this is our putting ourselves in the shoes of biblical characters, but he had to be asking, what now? Why this now? Why this temptation? Why this trouble? Uh, maybe even, why didn't I just fool around with Potiphar's wife? 
He might be asking all those things and just saying, Lord, I know that's not your will. I know that's not what I'm supposed to do. But now why am I here? Why am I in jail? And so a good question for us to uh, ask ourselves is, how do you express your fears to God? If you have fearful questions or, or some confusion or you're in dismay, <clears throat> how do you tell God? Excuse me, that that's that what you're feeling and how you're feeling. However, you would do it. Just imagine yourself in Joseph's place and the things that you would talk to God about, the things that you would pray about. But that's where he was, and he found himself in prison, and he he lived in prison, and he it wasn't fun, it wasn't nice, and it wasn't comfortable. In fact, if you look in Psalm 105, it gives us some insight into Joseph while he was in prison. And in uh, Psalm 105, verses 17 and 18, uh, the, the psalmist says this, He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. And they afflicted his feet with fetters, and he himself was laid in irons. Okay, so especially early on, um, his in his in prison he was it wasn't nice. He was in fetters. He was locked up, and then in verse twenty, um, uh, the the verse says, um, "Then the king sent and released him, the ruler of the peoples, and set him free." And I just want to check. I want to make sure that we get all that um, that whole passage there um, to read. But again. He was in, um, he was in prison, and it, it, boy, sometimes we don't, we may not think it was as bad as it got, and especially after he got to be the um, the jailer's helper, it, it probably was better, and he probably wasn't in stocks all the time, but he didn't start out that way. So let me get to this passage here. Okay, yep, I'm sorry too, because this is important as well. It says he sent a man before them, Joseph who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons. That's Joseph. And verse 19 says, until the time that his word came to pass, that's God's word, obviously, the and the word of the Lord tested him, tested Joseph. So this was a time of testing. We know that that was the case. And then verse 20 that we looked at, um, the king sent and released him, uh, the ruler of his peoples, and set him free. Um, but while he was there, while he was in that jail, while he was in prison, he was still faithful. And even though they had put him in stocks and put him in fetters, and life wasn't just all peachy for him, he still was faithful. And and again, maybe he thought he could work his way out. I don't know. But a time came, if you remember the story, and I don't want to get into too many of the details. I don't want to make this too um, long, but he interpreted the dreams of two other prisoners. One of them was killed. One of them was set free. And then the guy said, boy, when I get out of here, or he actually asked him, when you get out of here, tell the Pharaoh what I did for you. Maybe I can get out. And the guy said, oh, yep, I'm going to do it. I'll tell him. But when he got back his old position and he was back in the presence of the Pharaoh, he forgot about Joseph. And there were two years went by after that he interpreted the dream. He was still in prison. I would say languishing, but I'm not sure he did. I'm not sure that was J Joseph's personality. He was obviously um, 
the helper of the jailer. But still, it had to be two years. Now, for me, if I was in that position, that to me would have been the low point. Because I've done, I've been faithful, maybe thought I could buy my way out of Potiphar's house. Uh, maybe I thought I could, you know, be faithful in jail and prove that I wasn't a criminal um, and, and get out. And then I got the opportunity, hey, here's my way out. I helped this guy. He can talk to the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh could get me out. Uh, and and then when it didn't happen, for me, that would have been the most depressing, the lowest point. And all of a sudden, I thought I was going to be out. Now I'm not out. And so, uh, again, for Joseph, what what did he talk to God? How did he how did he um, how did he pray? What kind of frustration might he have had uh, personal in this? We know he was faithful. We know he still did his job, but on a personal level, that to me would have to be devastating. So again, put yourself in his shoes. What would you pray? <clears throat> how would you pray, Lord? Why am I still here? It's been two years now. I'm moving on two years, and I still am in this place. How in the world are you going to fulfill your promises to me? And we all, we look at Scripture. All of us do. We look at Scripture. We have promises. We 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 believe that God chose us and directs us through um, through His Scripture, and He does. But what do we do in those times when things take a left turn, and we we don't, things aren't on track like that we thought they were on track. And so after those two years, the Pharaoh had a dream he had trouble with. And so Joseph had another chance and he interpreted a, a dream for the Pharaoh. And then he was rewarded. As the verse says, um, 100, 105 verse uh, 20, um, the king uh, released him, the rule of the peoples, and set him free. So now he was out. And so we see in, in that uh, phase that he was out of prison, we see that he was rewarded, like we said, and then he was rewarded with a wife. And the Bible said he was comforted by his wife. And then he was rewarded by sons. And so he was comforted by his sons. And so he had turned from being a prisoner uh, and, and being faithful in jail from a slave and being faithful as a slave to now being second only to the Pharaoh. And he was faithful in that, in those tasks as well. But those tasks then led him to have to confront his brothers face to face again. And so that had to be sort of a trial of its own. I really do believe in his reaction as he met his brothers and talked to them and, and then met them the second time. I do believe that was part of a trial. And obviously it wasn't as deep as before, it wasn't the same circumstances, but, uh, but he was there and he had to confront them what to do with them now. It had been a long time since he had seen them. And he had to be human and had to be thinking at times of revenge, times he may, may have wanted to um, to and make them pay, pardon me, for what they've done. So he's facing them again. And we do see from the text that he did some lording over them, right? He did push them around a little bit. He did scare them a little bit. At one point, uh, we know when he testified when he was in prison about interpreting dreams, that he gave God the glory for interpreting dreams both times. He said, man can't do this, but God can. But when he got to his brothers, he he scared them by saying, you know how much I know. 
you know that I can interpret dreams. And that and 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 I believe that was a little bit of his scaring them or being um alerting it over them, if you will, uh, in that circumstance. But again, he's not sure what to do. But now his brothers are here, he he gives them food and he finds them bowing down before him, almost like his dreams. Now question came to me as I'm as I'm doing this and reading this is um, do you believe that this was satisfaction for him he had his brothers there he had them bowing down before them he had power over them and and even though he did a little bit of um, uh, like I said pushing them around he didn't do a lot uh, but do you think at this point he, he thought his dreams had been satisfied Scott, because I don't think so. Because A, it wasn't. It wasn't exactly what he was promised, uh, the circumstantial wise. And even though it may have may have been able to seem like him at the uh, seem to Joseph at the time, like it was maybe an answer to that to that dream, I think he, he knew that it really wasn't. Because it it wasn't God's will for him. And then um Again, he got released, and then in Psalm 105, 21 and 22, the psalmist said, then he's talking about the Pharaoh with the he, he said, he made him Lord over his house and ruler over all his possessions to imprison his princes at will, that he might teach his elders wisdom. Okay, and so he he not only set, Joseph free, but he made him Lord over his house, and he gave him power over his kingdom, power over his princes. Now, um, as I as I read that verse two, um, I believe that the um, the second part that he could imprison his princes at will, that he might teach his elders wisdom, especially that second part, not only included the elders of uh, Egypt, but also his brothers, because he is going to. Yeah, give them some, uh, as young people say, he's going to drop the 411 on them or something like that he's going to do. And, and But he does dispense wisdom. And what wisdom does he dispense? Okay. And so we're going to kind of fast forward in this process to, um, uh, you you know, his, his brothers, he reveals himself to his brothers the second time. They cry, they weep, they have a reunion. They go tell Jacob. He talks Jacob into coming into Egypt and, and surviving there. And he gives them the great land. They get to stay in the great land, the land of Goshen there. And, and Joseph provides for them. And then um, after a few years, uh, it seems, uh, Jacob dies. And now if we look at Genesis 50, so I want to skip all the way to Genesis 50, we read this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of God, uh, of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. 
And that's Genesis 50, 15 through 18. And so they were still afraid because they knew they were guilty. They knew what they had done. And Joseph had been way nicer than they deserved, way nicer than anybody else maybe would have been. They had to be thinking in their own minds, he's way nicer than, than I would have been. But Joseph's response, um, uh, we're, we're going to look at it here in just a minute, but what do you think? Do you think he was satisfied at that time with what's happened? Now they're really bowing before him. They know who he is. And 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 so a natural question because what did was did this give him any satisfaction? Did this give him any pride? Uh, now it, it was interesting. One um, before I was saved, uh, growing up I wasn't saved. Uh, one of my favorite books was a, a book called The Count of Monte Cristo, fairly famous book. And I don't want to give you any spoiler. Well, I'll give you a spoiler alert. Uh, if you haven't read it, you might give a minute or two for this to go by um, and then come back. Uh, and if you think you would like to read it, but it's basically the story of almost exactly what Joseph went through. A group of people ganged up on Edmond Dantes is the character's name. He gets thrown in prison. He gets, he gets left for dead. Uh, he gets out uh, through um, circumstances. He gets out, he gets really, really rich. I mean, richer than anybody else in the world. Uh, and so he's got tons of money. And the whole book, the bulk of the book is him setting out an elaborate, intricate set of circumstances by which he can take revenge out on all those people that hurt him. And after I'd been saved for a while and 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 know, knew the story of Joseph and and kind of using it like I'm using a little bit today, one of the things that occurred to me is at the end of Count of Monte Cristo, he does get all his revenge. He does everything he wants to do. He gets the revenge for everything, everything he wants to do. But then, at the end of the book, he sails away, and the tone of the end of the book is one of melancholy. He's not satisfied. He's not happy. He got his revenge. He hurt everybody who hurt him. He was gracious to people who were gracious to him. Throughout the story, he helped people who had helped him, the good guys, if you will. He did great things for and wonderful things for and didn't take any of the credit for them. And then he hurt in terrible ways the people who had hurt him. And he sells away at the end of the book melancholy if not unhappy, definitely not satisfied. And so when you think about Joseph and his brothers bowing down to him in this position and having real fear in their hearts, do you think Joseph was smug at all? Do you think he said anything like, I told you, now, now, now what? Now I got you. And so when you think about his life before this, though, before they get with him in Genesis 50 and they ask him that question and they ask him not to hurt them and they say forgive and they say it through their through the voice of their father Jacob, whether he really said that to them or not, I don't know. So maybe they made that part up. I don't know. But then they said, please forgive. And they're asking, I beg you, forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin. And so 
And then they came and wept and said, Behold, we are your servants. So they submitted fully to him. And if you think about his life, though, he must have prayed hundreds of times for his release, hundreds of times for his circumstance to change, hundreds of times to be back at home where he longed to be and to see those promises fulfilled. And he must have, again, hundreds of times through his trials, must have gone over and over again in his own mind different scenarios that would get him out of jail or get him out of Potiphar's house and and fulfill God's promises. I know that's one of the things I do is I think, well, this could happen or that could happen or this could happen. And, and, we, and we start to build up Again, thoughts, well, if this happens, that happens, and I'll be there, and this will happen, and I'll be okay. Uh, And he had to think of that over and over again. Just being human, that had to be part of his thought process. Uh, And now he's released. He's seeing the promises fulfilled. And I don't think he anticipated God working in this way. I can't imagine this was the scenario he came up with. Oh, I'll do this and this and this, and then I'll interpret this dreams, and then it'll only be two more years. I I don't think so. And now he's out. And so when he comes to them and he's talking to them, our, our question is, what wisdom did he give them? Again, there was no smugness. There was no revenge. And so he says this. This is Genesis 20, and we're going to read 21 too. But Genesis 20 is one of my favorite verses. He says to them, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And all the wondering, all the years, all the wondering he had, Joseph had, all the despair he had, all the doubts he must have had, anger, angry thoughts about his brothers and his circumstances, and maybe Potiphar's wife, and maybe Potiphar for for believing her. Um, um, all those had had gone together and, and his unanswered prayers and his answered prayers and his supplication and his meditating on God, all of those things gave way to God's glory. He told them, you meant it for evil, but he meant it for good. Thank you, Jesus, glorifying God. He kept us alive right now for his purpose. And that's what he says. Um, again, I just want to repeat it. As for you, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. And so God gets the glory. No matter how much he wondered, no matter how much he cried, no matter how much he despaired through all those years of being separated from his family, wondering about God's promises, wondering about all that, in the end, God gave him Uh, Joseph, I'm sorry, gave God the glory. So when we talk about the ultimate purpose in prayer, all of those unanswered prayers for all of those years fell by the wayside. None of those mattered, except for the fact that God said no until the time was right to say yes to fulfill his will. And so yes, no, wait, the, the two years of waiting 
those all glorify God because his plan is perfect. He knows what he's doing. He is purposeful in his actions towards us. And he even began, um, and I didn't read uh, Genesis 50, 19, but I'm going to read it now. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? But the reality was, he was in God's place. Remember back in Psalm 105, 21, 22? He, the Pharaoh, made him, Joseph, lord over his house and ruler over all his possessions. And this is the kind of power, that's not the verse, sorry about that. This is the kind of power that Joseph had, getting back to the verse now, to imprison his princes at will. That's the Pharaoh's princes. And back to the verse, that he might teach his elders wisdom. So Joseph was wise. Joseph had a lot to teach. Joseph had lived a life full of trouble and sorrows and unanswered prayer and wait kind of answers to prayer and confusion. And he came out of it wise, and, and that's the power he had. So the reality yeah, he was, even though Joseph said, for I'm in God's place, temporally speaking, he was in God's place, and he could take revenge on them. If they didn't know that was true, they wouldn't have come to him that way. And so... Um, Joseph had all those, but all those feelings, all those human feelings, that pride, the smugness, all of those things were tempered by years of jail, of trials and suffering and praying. And Joseph learned from all that time. He learned about God. He learned who God was, and he learned how God's he learned God's character and the answers to prayer. And he actually, in the end, did what God would do. He had been so conformed to God's um, purpose for him, to God's will for him, to God's person, that in the end, Joseph said to his brothers, So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And again, that's Genesis 50, 21. How much more Christ-like could Joseph have been? So all that suffering, all those unanswered prayers, again, and I know I'm kind of repeating myself, sorry, but all those things culminated in Joseph being who God wanted him to be and doing what God wanted him to do. And it just made me think about when Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is a pretty good parallel to what Joseph did with his brothers. And so as we think about our lives and we think about the importance of knowing the ultimate purpose of prayer is to glorify God, it all kind of falls into place and makes sense, even if you're in the midst of it, even if you're not in the place where God is going to have you, even if those promises that he has given you haven't been fulfilled yet. You can know, we can have faith that all of those, all of our prayers, yes, no, maybe, different different things, and we're going to look at those next time, they all culminate in the glory of God for all eternity. And so, you also may have picked up that we do see also see the chief end 
of prayer as well. And we talked about the chief purpose of prayer being to teach us and bring us into the will of God, to be uh, right with the will of God. Joseph displayed that too, because the will of God was for many people to be preserved alive and not for Joseph to take his vengeance, right? And just in our humanity, left alone, left without a God who loves us, left without a God who answers our prayer, left without a God who, who, who doesn't know what he's doing. I don't know if I said that right. God does know what he's doing, but left without that God over our lives and superintending everything for us, we would be bitter, vengeful, smug people because that's our nature. And so in the end, Joseph was conformed to the nature of God and he did what God would do, which is forgive his brothers and provide for them and their children. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for today. I do bless you for your word. I just bow before you in utter humility before your word to thank you and bless you and worship you for your goodness to us. Lord, we're just overwhelmed. We just thank you that you teach us, that you show us how what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to go. And so help us to understand our ultimate end is to glorify you. And we will. Lord Jesus, you will lead us to that. And you'll help us to glorify you. So help us to understand that and be content with that. And then as we know that we're going to do the ultimate purpose of prayer, which is glorify you, help us to also be comfortable with the chief purpose of prayer, Lord Jesus. And help us to be content with that and to be content with your will and to be committed to do your will. Lord, we pray all of this in your precious name. And we just ask that you keep moving us forward in our prayer lives so that we can give you the glory the way Joseph gave you the glory. We thank you and we bless you. All of this in the name of our Savior, who loves us even more sometimes than we love ourselves. Amen. Thank you guys again for listening. Next time we will look at the chief end or the chief purpose, the chief end of prayer, if you will. And we'll look at how those subordinate prayers help um, build up that chief end and then, again, the ultimate end. So thank you. Thank you for your patience in this. Um, and I just pray every day that the Lord bless you, blesses you and, and that uh, you keep growing in your faith and growing in your prayer life. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Free Range Preacher. We hope you enjoyed it and will join us for our next broadcast coming up soon. For Fred and myself, this is Richard Durrington saying, make it a godly fun-filled day. Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. Your host, as always, is Fred. Our desire is to encourage, exhort, and educate on biblical prayer through this podcast. 
The mission of the podcast is to help everyone God allows us to help achieve a growing, biblical, dynamic, and satisfying prayer life. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can reach us at freerangeprayer at gmail.com. If you would like, you can make a positive review wherever you get your podcast. That would be appreciated. Welcome to today's episode of Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast.